0: Join me in our responsive welcome. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether You're in Connecticut or Colorado, United States or Europe or anywhere in the world. Have fun in children's church. So the madness continues. Emotions are running high again this week with loyalties and allegiances coming into clear focus. This really hit home for me when um, Princeton and Creighton played against each other. I got a funny email from a church member asking me, you know, quick brain, slow brain, who are you rooting for? We agreed it was a win-win situation, but I definitely had uh, a preference for Creighton. My heart is there, has been there. In fact, it's probably a place where I found my heart. And as I thought about everyone else um, and some of the allegiances I know about, I realized Kansas is out, CU is out, UConn is out. Sorry, Beth. But I also know that there's still Virginia Tech, yep. There's Duke, where'd Robert go? Oh, there he is. Kansas State, yep, the Jacksons. Texas, yep. Maryland, I'm thinking of uh, Ann and Tom we are at home with that one. I don't know, Iowa, Julie, what do you think? Yep. So there's others. We pick our teams, don't we? And sometimes they have really meaningful connections to us. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, it's on our birth certificate. That's who we're supposed to root for, and, and we do. And, and it connects us to a bigger clan, and we like to be connected. So that's it. Well, I have to say, today's scripture story includes these same kind of emotions, only it's a really serious forum. It's not a game, it's not a basketball game. Um, The heightened emotions of loyalty, of duty, of love. And it's another story that will benefit from breathing into the message and not getting distracted by the miraculous. We're gonna slow down again and remember that this is John's Gospel. And these stories are signs. They're signs that point to the identity of Jesus and the working of God. And last week we were in chapter nine, this week we're in chapter 11, and in between these two, once again, Judean authorities picked up stones and wanted to throw them at Jesus. And there were others who tried to arrest Jesus, but. Scripture says he escaped from their hands. It's really tense. It's beyond tense. And adding to the growing tension is all the emotions surrounding a serious illness that leads to death. And then following death, all the early practices and obligations of a funeral and a burial, not unlike the practices that we still have. I mean, there are different practices, but we still have practices around death and around grieving. It's a hard situation on many levels. And it's one that we can all relate to. And it's one that you probably wish we could just keep talking about basketball. It's a little easier. But we can do this. We can do this because we've done this. And so let's just take a look at it. Something to keep in mind as we engage this story is the question, why do you suppose they told this particular story in this particular way? There's so many ways to point to God's presence and to give glory to God. Why this story? And so here we are in the 11th chapter of John. A man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. This was the same Mary who massaged the Lord's feet with aromatic oils and then wiped them with her hair. That actually comes later, it's curious that it's mentioned now. It was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Master, the one you love is very much, the one you love very much is sick. There's a kinship here. There's a closeness. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are siblings, and Jesus has a relationship with them. None of them are identified as having spouses. It's possible that they're all single and living in the same home. And this is someone that Jesus loves. When Jesus got the message, he said, the sickness is not fatal. It will become an occasion to show God's glory by glorifying God's Son. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But oddly, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed on where he was for two more days. This is curious, isn't it? A curious response to someone you love, to stay where you are for two days. There's an air of it that's a little bit improper also. In fact, maybe even insulting to delay. Where were you? Why aren't you coming? There's also an element, if you remember a few weeks back, Amelia mentioned that in the ancient world, it was just a truism that the safety of women depended upon the presence of men. So you were connected to the person you were married to or your father or your brother. So somewhere in there, if The man of the family is ill, these women are now vulnerable. So Jesus would have been another man, right? But he stayed away still for two days. And after the two days, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So that's the region where Bethany is. And they said, Rabbi, you can't do that. The Judean authorities are out to kill you, and you're going back? The ones with the stones wanting to arrest him. Jesus replied, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? In other words, nothing bad's going to happen in the light of day. Anyone who walks in daylight doesn't stumble because there's plenty of light from the sun. Walking at night, he might very well stumble because he can't see where he's going. He said these things and then announced, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I'm going to wake him up. A euphemism, perhaps? The disciples certainly didn't get it. Master, if he's gone to sleep, he'll get a good rest and wake up feeling fine. Jesus was talking about death while his disciples thought he was talking about taking a nap. Then Jesus became explicit Lazarus died. And I'm, going, and I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there. You're about to be given new grounds for trusting. So now let's go to him. And that's when Thomas, the one called the twin, said to his companions, come along, <clears throat> we might as well die with him. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? The one we know as doubting Thomas is quite faithful here, isn't he? Let's go. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. That's an echo of Ruth. When Jesus finally got there, he found Lazarus already dead for four days. And this this matters. And this actually gets repeated that it's been four days because there was an ancient belief and some still believe it now and I've experienced this kind of presence that a life force or an energy stays present for a time following death. In the ancient world, it was three days. So the fourth day, you're really dead. Even your spirit is gone. Bethany was near Jerusalem, only a couple miles away, and many of the Judeans were visiting Martha and Mary. So they were starting to gather, sympathizing with them over their brother. The grievers come. Martha heard Jesus was coming and went out to meet him, and Mary remained in the house. And Martha said, Master, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. We don't know if this is a complaint or a statement of faith. Maybe both. Even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask God, he will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will be raised up. And Martha replied, I know that he will be raised up in the resurrection at the end of time. You may not know this, but there was Jewish belief in resurrection. And Jesus says, you don't have to wait for the end. I am right now, resurrection and life. The one who trusts in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives trusting in me does not ultimately die at all. Do you trust this? That's a little confusing. Yes, Master, all along I have trusted that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Again, a powerful statement of faith from a woman. After saying this, she went to her sister Mary and whispered in her ear, The teacher is here and asking for you. The moment she heard that, she jumped up and ran out to meet him. Jesus had not yet entered the town, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When her sympathizing friends saw Mary run off, they followed her. That was part of the practice. You know, you just go with those who are grieving, or immediate family members. Maybe everyone grieves. So they followed, thinking she was on her way to the tomb, to weep there. And Mary came to where Jesus was waiting and fell at his feet, saying, you can hear this again, Master, if only you had been here, My brother would not have died. He didn't respond this time. Not in the same way. When Jesus saw her sobbing and the Judeans with her sobbing, a deep anger welled up in him. We don't hear a lot about Jesus' anger, but that's the word. And he said, Where did you put him? Master, come and see, they said. And then Jesus wept. And I don't know if those are angry tears, if they're sad tears, they're a combination of others, but that's the short verse that people remember in trivia contests. What's the shortest verse? Jesus wept. That's it. Upon seeing him weep, the Judeans said, look how deeply he loved him. And others among them said, well, if he loved him so much, why didn't he do something to keep him from dying? After all, he opened the eyes of a blind man. Hmm. Laying it down. Then Jesus, the anger again welling up within him, arrived at the tomb. It was a simple cave in the hillside with a slab of stone laid against it. And Jesus said, remove the stone. The sister of the dead man Martha said, Master, by this time there is a stench. King James, he stinketh. He's been dead again for four days, really dead. Jesus looked in her eyes. Didn't I tell you that if you trusted, you would see the glory of God? Then the others said, Go ahead, take away the stone. And they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and prayed, Father, I'm grateful that you have listened to me. I know that you always do listen, but on account of this crowd standing here, I've spoken so that they might trust that you sent me. This is as close as you get to defensiveness from Jesus as we're going to hear. It was a dishonor to honor yourself in the ancient world. And so that's why this comes in the form of a prayer. God, I am here on your behalf. You will be the one to work through me. You are the one who sent me. Following that prayer, Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. A cadaver wrapped from head to toe, and with a kerchief over his face. So still in the burial clothes that were part of the tradition. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him loose. Now the reading does end here, but I'm gonna keep going just a little bit longer because this is really important. And this is often left out. This was a turning point for many of the Judeans who were, with, who were with Mary. They saw what Jesus did and began trusting in him. But some went back to the Pharisees, and I know that's putting up a flag in your head, uh-oh, and told on Jesus, the message version says. The high priests and Pharisees called a meeting of the ruling body, What do we do now? Sort of, we're losing this. He's gaining in popularity. This man keeps on doing things, creating God signs. If we let him go on, pretty soon everyone will be trusting in him, and the Romans will come and remove what little power and privilege we still have. There it is. You heard it? You had to go through all that to get there but you stuck with it and you heard it, right? Because they were under Roman occupation and had been. And at the time when the Gospel of John was written, the temple had been destroyed. So there they were living in an occupied territory. And as in those situations, some people are given a little bit of privilege and power, just enough to feel important and to relax a little bit. But if something gets out of hand, it's taken away. It's always conditional. You think of sympathizers in any situation. You think you're getting something by sort of joining forces, but it's always, always a loss, always. And then the next verse, or actually a couple verses later, the Judean authorities planned to put Jesus to death. That was the outcome of the meeting. He's got to go. We'll make him an example. You've seen this in our country. The one that too many people were trusting in, and feeling empowered by. Isn't that what happened with Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? Didn't he empower people that were supposed to stay in their place? Didn't he get support from both black and white, or people of color and people of European descent? That's when it got really dangerous. So you know the story. You know what happens when you don't stay in your place. Our Lenten series theme of putting down and picking up this week is the invitation to put down fear and to pick up hope. Now, when I ask you what are you afraid of, some of the things that quickly come to mind are spiders and snakes. (laughs) Afraid of the dark. Afraid of heights or closed spaces like elevators. I have an irrational fear against cruise ships. I don't know why. But those are some of the things that we can say, I'm afraid of that. I don't like that and I'm not the person that removes the spiders from our home. It's not so much fear as ick. So that's the first sort of level of fears, right? The immediate, like, oh, I'm afraid of that. That scares me a little bit. But then if we take a few breaths, slow down a little bit. People in social scientists in the area of social science, tell us that there are five core fears that are universal. See if they connect for you. Fear of abandonment, conscious or not, loss of identity, loss of meaning, loss of purpose, and the fear of sickness that's connected to pain and death. Fear of pain, right? Do those ring true for you as some of your deeper fears? They do for me. These are the fears that rise from the earth. Aren't they? The hummus. The humility. The vulnerability of what it means to be human. So why this story? Well, maybe because it brings to light a shared fear and what's possible. Lazarus was ill and died, and those who gathered went to the grave to see where the body was buried. And let's just stop right there. I know this is deeply personal, and for some, it's too soon. But when you go to that grave, there's nothing else you can do but look around at who's there with you. I mean, you can, look at the, you can look at the grave, you can look at the casket, you can look at the urn, you can look at the sky, you can look at the tree, take it all in. Each person there for a reason each one a different point of connection and in the midst of grief and varied emotions this scene is an important reminder that you are not alone these are your people this is your village each person made in the image of god and worthy to be loved, each one. It asks the question and answers the question, how do we show up for each other? And then we hear Jesus say, it says in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And it's curious that Lazarus doesn't say one word in this whole story, and not one word after he comes out. When Lazarus comes out, maybe what is said next is the most important piece. Unwrap him. Untie him. And set him free. The one who escaped from the hands of those who wanted to stone him now says, unwrap and untie. Be free. Remove the bandages of old hurts and broken promises and imperfections. Remove the binding of religious certainty and defensiveness. Remove the burden of estrangement and righteousness. Be free to love with kindness and care and spaciousness. put down the stones. We need our hands to unwrap and untie so that those who are bound can be free. Consider this instruction from Jesus as permission and encouragement. Consider this the meaning of our life and our purpose as church. Unwrap, untie, release your burden, and be free. Be free so that all may enjoy the gift of life, not the conditional, not the under-occupation, What does that look like in your life? Is it forgiveness, a long-held matter that needs to be forgiven? What does that look like in your life? Is it an apology? Is it a confession? Is it the courage to speak up in the presence of those who are protecting their power? Is it a willingness to give up some of that fake power and to use the real power that Jesus gives us? And that a life of faith gives us? our hymn also is going to give us a glimpse of what that looks like. And so as you allow images to come to you and as you allow the spirit to be at work with you, let's let's rise in spirit and sing in the New Century Hymnal number 581.